Welcome to Retro Groove. I'm Adam C. And I'm Liam D. And this is a podcast where we talk about music that stands the test of time, the albums and artists that have shaped and reshaped the sonic landscape, as well as covering new music from those artists. So today, we thought we would take a bite out of a topic that has been tread over so many times in so many different ways by so many different people that we I don't know. I almost felt like, what more could we possibly add to the conversation? Why are we even going to attempt doing a Beatles episode? How did you not take the apple joke right there? See, you said take a bite out of, and then it was there. Dad joke is there. I guess that's probably more elevated. (laughs) Well, and then I said the word big, and then like. In the back of my brain, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, Big Apple, that's New York, and that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, and that's going to set up a a, a rabbit trail that we don't need to go down because it doesn't help us. So, Fair enough. Anyway, we're we're getting into semantics here, and it's fun. But um, yeah, both of us have, um, over the course of the past uh, couple of weeks, gone through the entirety of... Peter Jackson's epic Get Back docuseries and very epic. It's it's an epic in typical Peter Jackson fashion. It is the director's cut. Let's put it that That's way. That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, we'll get into that and we'll also just kind of touch on some general um Beatles opinions and um our thoughts on all things Beatles. Um uh, but first, as we typically do, Liam, how have you been? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm right off the heels of a six-year-old's birthday party at a bowling alley today, Ah. which it's been a little while since we did birthday party, birthday parties and pre-COVID, pre-COVID my daughter was four and those birthday parties are a little different. Yes. Um, I don't know about you. I, you know, everybody's situation is obviously a little different. I didn't have a whole lot of cousins or, uh, nieces and nephews at all, or friends that had young children where I was going to bowling parties or, or even like six, seven, eight-year-old birthday oh. parties in the past, you know, 20 years, like since I was that age. Right. So being thrown into that now with a kid that age who is of the birthday party uh, season or scene, it's fun. Like, it was it was interesting going bowling and showing a bunch of kids how to bowl right. and like they haven't they haven't done it ever and it's been two years since they could go into a bowling alley so oh, yeah, they really had never done it. Um, but what what's applicable to this, which is interesting, is like the screens that are over the bowling lanes were playing a mishmash of ads for concessions as they would. Oh wow! Um, like a Christmas animated Mickey movie and uh music videos and the huh. music videos were like Britney Spears and Nelly Furtado and oh, and then some wow. like more recent stuff and my it was kind of fun cuz like my daughter 
knew everything. I, there were five <laughs> or six times during this birthday party where she turned to me and was like, Daddy, this is my favorite song. They're playing my favorite song. <laughs> and I'm great. like, this is your favorite song? And, and that, but like, it was kind of fun. Like, no other kids seemed to be jazzed that they were playing Britney yeah. Spears or Dua Lipa or whatever it was. And like, she was really vibing it as she was learning to bowl. So it was kind of fun. Well, there was good an job, arcade Dad. there. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, there was an arcade there. So it was kind of fun to get your hands on a joystick again. Yeah. And they had one of those things where you throw the balls at the fuzzy clowns oh, to get yes. tickets. I like that Man, one. Man, that felt good like it, it felt good i could not make a basket in the, like the sh- hoop shot hot shot whatever no. like i just i i stunk i was really bad but um but they didn't know they were six so whatever they couldn't <laughs> even reach it yeah um how are you doing i'm doing great um we did a little move and i've got kind of a new setup going um so that didn't leave a whole lot of time for my normal perusing of my favorite local record stores um, or, you know, much of much of anything else besides the whole moving process. But I but did, you got some nice gear there. I, well, uh, I, it. Sure. <laughs> I, got, I got you were streaming. I can't even stream. I don't even have a laptop that can stream. Well, I got gear. Well, I've had the laptop for a long time, but I got mm. gear that was the least expensive I could find that was adequate enough to do what I needed to do reliably. So I'll right. put it, I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, nice. So that was kind of a small early Christmas gift to myself, you know, the interface and the capture box and the yeah. microphone stand uh, set up and all of that. So, you know, it was, I, I chalked it up to a necessity, you know, we're trying to keep things rolling and I didn't, I didn't want to lose momentum during the move and things like that. So, um, that's great. You know, uh, gear is gear and, and it's necessary. And, uh, if, if, if you want to keep it quality, you got to buy quality stuff and, you know, I, I didn't go overboard. I just got what I felt like we needed. Um, got the hard drive too. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, feel better about the equipment that I do have just to keep it rolling and keep it quality. Cause you know, well, your, your appearance on retro logic was great and sounded great. And you did a, I mean, your stream, it's one of my favorite Mario games. So that was great. It feels like you've got a good situation. I love it. Yeah. We'll keep it rolling and I'll, I'll be streaming some retro games on Sunday nights on the, the retro logic Twitch account. That'll be, that'll be fun. Um, so of course now that I have to be even more focused when I go, uh, out and about because I could get lost shopping around for NES games. I could get lost shopping around for records. Thankfully, one of my, one of my favorite haunts, Piranha Records in Round Rock, Texas has both. They, they sell retro games as well. Um, they don't have, they don't have a a big game section. It's kind of an aside to what the, you know records are their their primary thing but it's nice to walk in to go browsing for records and be like oh they got mario or they got you know whatever uh mega man 4 in and it's a good one i'm not gonna drop the 45 dollars on it but that's technically a good price so (laughs) there there's that um but uh 
other than the gear I did and and this is also the pretty much the only thing I've been I've been listening to this past almost this past entire week I was listening to the uh Rick Rubin podcast uh it's called is it called Broken Record And, um, he was, he was talking to, I think it was the Serge Tonkin episode. Oh, okay. And at some point they were just talking about like the LA music scene and how exciting things are. And the, the, the band Le Butcherettes came up and Mm -hmm. I had one of those moments, like the, the flashback moment in the movies where something triggers and they go back because, I was first introduced to Le Butcherettes when Dan and myself went to go see at the drive-in oh. in 2017 when they were touring for Interalia. Well, okay. they they toured with there's a whole connection there. Yeah. And you know, they toured with Mars Volta and you know, the 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 lead singer and basically the founder and primary creative force um, uh, she's in a band with Omar Rodriguez Lopez, right? Uh, called Bosnian Rainbows, of all things. But <laughs> amazing, um, yeah, l- super creative names from from that whole crew, and I love it. Um, but yeah, I went to go see at the drive-in. Uh, it was June of 2017 with with my brother, mm-hmm. and um, they were the opening act, and I had never heard of them. And I don't know if, if you know much about them, but, but just a little bit, yeah. But their their stage performances are very theatrical. Um, yeah. Probably not as much as they were in the in the very early stages. Uh, they're actually from Mexico, so their early shows in Mexico they would have, you know, um, pigs' heads and fake blood and mm-hmm. bloody aprons and things like that. Um, so it, it's, it's that type of thing. And so their performance completely like caught me off guard and, and, uh, I loved the music. It was, it was, it checked all of the boxes for me. And of course I, I, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, this is one of my new favorite bands. I can't wait to right. like, you know, find out who these, who these people are and, and dig into yeah. their history. And then at the drive-in came out and it's at the drive-in. So I like, yeah. I, I kind Immediately, of, yeah. I kind of forgot about it for a while. And when I was listening to that, it jogged my memory and I was like, oh man. So I ended up going back, you know, you do the down the backwards mm-hmm. rabbit hole. And, um, I actually purchased, um, their, they put out an EP last year. And it plays like an album because it's like seven songs and they're all fantastic. There's no filler. Um, so I ordered that. It's actually on its way to me from Amoeba Records in Hollywood. Nice. Um, which I think will be my first Amoeba purchase. Okay. Um, and uh, man, they just, they're rooted in garage rock and punk. Um, but, you know, kind of now are a little bit more venturing into sort of a St. Vincent kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to go back yeah. through their history and watch the evolution happen. And, you know, she is uh, amazing. The the lead singer and, and main songwriter, um, 
Teresa Suarez and she, she goes by the stage name, Terry Genderbender. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the whole thing comes from, you know, uh, speaking out against the gender stereotypes in Mexico and mm-hmm. not that we don't have those here, but primarily, you know, where she, uh, came from. And that, that's where the whole like bloody apron and, and everything right. came from. Um, they, they're pretty punk rock though, right? Like usually when you think yes. of theatrics, fake blood, you think of Rammstein metal, right. war metal, you know, and, and like, this is still rock. It's, it's, it's pretty rock. Totally. Right. Um, I'm, I can't, I, I, I'm sure I know a song or two. I, I can't really think of anything in my head, but I feel like they're more of a punk band to me. Definitely. Than metal. Yeah. And her in particular, it's the way that I think of it, it's like if you took if you took Joan Jett, Iggy Pop, and like Karen O and mm-hmm. put them in a blender, you kind of get her sort of vibe. And I'm here for yeah. it. We, you know, we, yeah. we've already established on this podcast that for some reason, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I definitely have some kind of thing for dark haired, scary front women. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's checking all the, it's checking boxes that I didn't yeah. even know I had. So. That's very funny. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I've been, no, this I've been, is therapy too. Yeah. I've been, <laughs> I've been blasting all of their records much to my daughter's chagrin and awesome. Uh, it's, it's so much fun too, at the same time, their music videos are, are quite out of this world. So, um, highly, nice. re- highly recommend them. Um, what about you, what you've been listening to and, and buying? Well, so, and kind of in keeping with this week's, uh, theme, it, it worked out, but also it was predicated by the conversation we had for the last episode where I realized that I didn't own a copy of Abbey Road. And as you went through the like the albums that you would get for anybody who is like just getting into vinyl, I'm like, yeah, I should probably have. Like yeah. I, I looked and I, I didn't have that on CD. Um, and so I, I went out, they, they put out a new nice anniversary uh, edition. It wasn't nice. too expensive. There was also a very expensive version. I as figured I was good with yes. this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as there always is. Um, so... That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. Um, I also, so that I attribute to you. I also attribute another one of my purchases to your like influence on all of this. Oops. Cause I, <laughs> I and it, it actually goes to your conversation a bit, uh, during retro logic, but also just some of the other conversations we've had, yeah. especially regarding spoon and, and a few others where you've talked about completing the discography and it's, it's never been a thing in my head. Um, it, it's, you know, I, again, I've always wanted to have the music that I loved at my fingertips. It was always a right. matter of like wanting to own and pay into, but own the ability or the option to engage with culture. And, mm-hmm. and I still feel that way. But as you've talked about this over the time, over these past conversations, I'm like, there are bands where I should just complete the discography. You know, there are some. Yeah, if it's a band you I, care about, it it feels yeah, like you're doing the right thing. <laughs> I've also I've probably missed out on some things, and so yeah, there's that uh, too. So so right now, my headspace now in December of 2021 uh-huh. is is that I am going to complete the REM discography. Yes, Pat, patchwork. 
of vinyl and CD. So it's not as daunting. No. Because I have, I think I have like six or seven albums on CD and two or three on vinyl. And so, mm-hmm. especially with like used CDs, I mean, I literally was at the record store and they had the remaster of Monster, which is an album I love, but like it's not my favorite right. REM album for like $28. Or they had the used CD in great condition for $3. Right. And I'm like, I'm, I'm taking the CD. Go, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> so uh-huh. I got the CD. Um, nice. But I, I am kind of set now. I've like thought about a few other bands that I probably want to complete the discography of just so I have everything yeah. accessible to me. So, awesome. so REM will be my first. Well, and that's a good um, band to do that with because I agree. Yeah. You know, some bands, it's like there are bands that I love that there's an album or two or maybe even more that I'm like, eh. I don't need to listen yeah. to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but well, REM is quality all the way through. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And it's, it's made me realize too. I mean, automatic for the people is probably considered the like touchstone album, but they don't have a, a nevermind, right? They don't have right. that album where it was like, this was the moment. And then there's all these other things on the other albums, but like, this is the one. Um, and, so it makes kind of collecting them more interesting because yeah. I know I know the hits and the singles. I know some off songs that I've just been exposed to here or there or I've sought out. But listening now to some of these other albums that I've kind of dove into, I'm like, mm-hmm. man, this band sounds different. I mean, it's a little bit like the Beatles. Like right. every song sounds different. It could yes. be a different band. If you didn't recognize the voices, like – it could be a different band, but there's something about the orchestration or like the, the way that they kind of mm-hmm. create their sound that is so unique that you can tell it's REM, even if it doesn't sound like REM and right. you can tell it's the Beatles, even though, even if it doesn't sound like the Beatles. And the um, others adding on top of that, it's, it's really, really fun and interesting to get the whole discography of a band like that, that has been around for so long and has put yeah. music out over multiple decades that you can watch the evil or hear the evolution over time, you know, what they sounded like in the early years, the kind of transitions that they went through, maybe even, you know, members coming in and out and to be able to see the arc over time is, is really, really fun and interesting. And I think you can definitely do that with REM kind of see how they've, they evolved over time with their sound. Yeah. And I think as weird as it sounds, it also is nice that there's an end point too. Yes. Um, like I, I had that, and this is so unrelated, but I had that with the walking dead, uh, the, the comic series where I was buying oh, mm-hmm. the, the hardcover books. Cause I loved the reading the series and they just kept coming. And I was like, am I really going to buy one of these every nine, 10 months and reread the series every time to get to the 10th or 12th hardcover book? And so initially by like the 10th book, I was like, I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to walk away. And as soon as he's done, then I'll go get everything and I'll just read everything. And five years later, all of a sudden, I don't know if you follow comics at all, but it was a crazy much thing that so I, it was a crazy thing that happened. This isn't a comic podcast, but um, he just 
ended the series. Like, no one really had a heads up. You just, when you went in to pick up your issue of The Walking Dead that came out that month. That was it. It was over. Wow. It was just over. And everybody flipped, dude. People were losing their minds because they were like, wow. we didn't have a heads up and this is, like, this is the end. And it, he arced it nicely and it, it it resolves itself well. Yeah. But while everybody was freaking out that, like, this journey had ended, I was elated because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I can finally read this whole thing. This is fantastic. Right. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And the hardcover came out like a month or two later, and I picked it up, and I yeah. sat there for like a week or two, and I read the whole series. And so Man. I feel like with REM, it's the same thing. Like, I can get everything together, and I can have everything, yes. and then I ha- and then I just have then everything. that's it. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything else happening. It's nice. I can just like mull over it and revisit things, and I don't have to be like, wait, what are they doing now? Uh, I don't yeah. know about that. It's been 40 years, guys. I think it's fine, whatever. <laughs> um, that's enough. But yeah, and then, so I crowdsourced a, uh, a synthwave, like Zelda music album, which I've got enough oh, of like- Oh, excellent. The, yeah, I've got enough of like the lo-fi stuff and the symphonic stuff where I was like, do I really need a synthwave version? And then I listened to the songs because yes. you get the you get the digital immediately and then the oh. vinyl is going to come in like six months. Um, if they're lucky. And yeah, right, exactly. Um, and, and so I listened to a couple of it and my daughter was in the room and she was like, Hey, I know that. And she thought it was cool. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to get this. Yeah. <laughs> um, Great. and then speaking of, see, speaking of my kid, I know I mentioned it during the bowling thing, but like, she has been asking for certain songs now. Like she's got enough of a recollection of random songs that have been on around the house or the car. And so she asked me for the other day, she asked me for the shoe shine song, which is the oh, gorillas. Yeah. yeah. I know what that and, means. <laughs> yep. And I was like, yeah, okay, we can listen to some, some gorillas. And then I was driving. So I'm like, you know, I can't really be on my phone. So I think we're going to listen to this band a bunch. And we listened to like 10 songs on this drive to and nice. from an errand. Mm-hmm. And she was way into it. And it was fun kind of explaining to her that they're a cartoon band. And I showed her pictures and videos. Yeah. And so. That was kind of cool. Um, and then the last just fun thing, I missed the cutoff this year, uh, but next year I've told my wife that since it's the three of us, what I want to do for next year's Christmas card is recreate uh, Beastie Boys' Check Your Head <laughs> album cover as just like our name and then Merry Christmas or whatever. And it's just yes. us kind of looking like sitting on the curb. And my wife was like, we can do that, but that means that you set a precedent. So you, I hope you have other ideas for like future album covers. Like you can't just do this as a one-off. Right. The next year, we'll have to do it again with a different one. And so I was like, man, what trios have iconic album covers that have them on it? Like Green Day does not. You know, ZZ Top does. We could do Beards. Um, <laughs> but we landed on Destiny's Child, where, oh. like, there are some great album covers with the three of them on there. And so then we all, like, my daughter knows some Beyonce, but doesn't really know. We realize she doesn't really know Destiny's Child. Mm-hmm. So we watched the Survivor video. We've been dancing to Bootylicious. It's been great. Like <laughs> That's that, awesome. That. Disney Destiny's Child had hit after hit, man. Like oh, Beyonce, yeah, Beyonce is Beyonce, and the hits are all there too. Yeah, but like it, that Destiny's Child catalog is fire. There's like <laughs> ten to twelve just mega hits in that catalog alone. So yeah, yeah. 
so it's been been super fun that's awesome yeah all right cool well we do have um a little bit of news to touch on um mm-hmm. before we get into our music history for the week um this is real briefly i i just saw this announcement today but um you know the texas trio speaking of trios uh Krangbin, uh, is kind of a jazzy um mostly instrumental uh groovy trio um mm-hmm. they did uh, a little ep with leon bridges uh, a few years back called texas sun and it was it was very well received and everyone was yeah. like oh when are you going to do an album um but then you know as the year or two went by they each kind of put out their own things and it didn't look like anything else was going to happen or anything was going to come from it but they just announced they are putting out another ep not an album but another another you know small ep uh called texas moon this time yeah and that's that's going to be out February 18th. So I will absolutely be looking forward to that because I'm a big fan of both of those artists. And that little yeah. Texas Sun EP is is really, really, really amazing. It's really good. And it seems like this is something that they wanted to do or at least were inspired, obviously inspired to do because of the success of the first one. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of fun to think of what this could fully sound like. Um like it, I like a theme. It doesn't need to be like yeah. a a, a, su- a full subject album yeah. or whatever. But like to have a sort of style or mode of songwriting or something for this could be really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it too. Dope. Um, I mentioned REM uh, is going into their 40th anniversary or their 40th year. Uh, so is Metallica. Um, and if you're listening to this now, um, you may be missing the first stream of their concert, but it's on demand. So don't worry about it. Um, they are doing two concerts to celebrate their 40th anniversary. Um, and if you don't have tickets to that, then you can go to, uh, Amazon music, Amazon prime, any of those Amazon things. You can even watch it on Twitch. Um, oh, wow. they're, they're, they're broadcasting both concerts on there and then they'll be on demand, uh, afterwards on prime video. I I'm super jazzed for this. I feel like it's going to be just one of those kind of expansive playlists where they, they go hit after hit, maybe, maybe pull out a couple deep ones, but yeah. this is a band that, um, they know the fan favorites. They know how to deliver. I, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, like I I've seen them a handful of times, but mainly at music festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see them at a proper, like this is at the chase center at San Francisco. Oh, okay. Um, I, I wish I was at a show like that. Like I'd like to go see them at a proper, like full on arena yeah. show or, or even like an amphitheater, but that's never going to happen. Um, yeah. but I, I just think, um, there was such an energy at the shows that I was at where, you would think when you're at a metal show, like when I was at that Megadeth show, it was intense. Like people were very cool. The fan, like metal yeah. fans are, are they're nice and, yep. and they're like wonderful, very considerate people who just yes. like then spin around and throw fists in the pit. Of but course, like, but they'll help they take you care up of after. Each other yeah. too. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> uh-huh. percent. Uh, they're just working it out. Um, but yeah, so 
Metallica fans, though, or Metallica show is like the pinnacle of that, where it's really just, it felt like everyone was there and everybody, like if there was a communal aspect to every time I've seen them. Mm -hmm. And like a dude put his arm around me and I didn't know who he was. (laughs) And normally, (laughs) and normally I'd, I'd just beeline for the, for the door. I'd, I'd I'd rush for the gates. Right. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm okay with this actually. Like (laughs) we're, we're enjoying this together. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like that. He was like, this is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is awesome. So (laughs) I'm finding um, it kind so, of funny that Metallica was mm-hmm. one of the first and, you know, most vocal uh, groups coming out against, right. you know, Napster. I didn't even and, think of that. Yeah. And now they're they're streaming on Amazon. <laughs> I'm so, sure they got a nice big paycheck for it. Oh, of course. So Amazon money is good. Napster money's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's what it came down to. But it's it, yeah, it, it yeah, is yeah. it is it is funny. Yeah. Um, we recently got the sad news that um, Mike Nesmith of the Monkees passed yes. away, natural causes, uh, at the age of 78. Um, I don't. Are you a Monkees fan at all? Did you grow up with them? Th- that's one of those groups that my um, late great Aunt Sue introduced me to, um, mm-hmm. along with the Beach Boys and the Beatles. Um, yeah. And I remember seeing them on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really into them, but you know, the TV show was entertaining and I would listen to um, whatever, <clears throat> whatever, whatever my aunt Sue liked. So yeah. I'm, I'm aware of them, but you know, my, my fandom didn't move much further beyond, you know, the age of five or six. Yeah. It's in- so it's an interesting thing. And, and, I'm a fan. I, you know, this just like our later Beatles conversation, I could have some of these notes wrong, but um, like they were obviously put together for this TV show. Um, They weren't musicians in the sense of uh, like a a band that had this vision to uh, put out this material and then it coalesced into a TV show. It was kind of the opposite but they were all very talented in their own right mm-hmm. um, and ultimately would go on to write and tour and perform their own music, which was great. Yeah. Um, but most of their hits, a lot of their hits were written by Neil Diamond. And Neil Diamond oh, wow. is is Jewish Elvis. Like he is like, <laughs> he, he like that dude is fantastic. I've never heard he, him put that, that, that guy, way. <laughs> that guy can write. A hit, man. I mean, yep. like even his bad songs are catchy, and um, and so yeah. So he wrote a bunch of like I'm a believer. A bunch of those um, monkey smashes were Neil Diamond songs. Wow. Um, the Mickey Dolans is the only one left. Um, transparently, you know, I I do have autographs from some artists and stuff like that. Um, the monkeys were artists that, and a band or a group that I definitely wanted in my, you know, career path and whatever to, uh, to get, like they meant something to me. I watched the show growing up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I have an LP signed by three of the four members. Wow. Uh, I met Mike Nesmith twice oh, and both times, both times he refused to sign it. Oh my goodness. Because, 
he was like, he was such, by the end of his life, he was back in and he was touring with the band. There was a reunion there. But when I met him, he was not working with the monkeys. He was doing his own thing. Um, And so he, he was very polite about it, but he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. Um, He definitely like later on also was the guy at the conventions where if you paid like a hundred bucks, like you could get the signature on an item or something. I never did that. That that's not my vibe. I more prefer, prefer the story that like, I have three of the four autographs and the fourth that I don't have, I was told It's a no. great story. <laughs> Multiple times too. Was Multiple <laughs> times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got shot down twice. I thought he'd forget. And then, I mean, maybe he didn't. He uh, just really felt that way. Yeah. He changed um, his mind. But a crazy, just a fun thing about Mike Nesmith that makes all of this that much more interesting is um, he was independently wealthy. So hmm. um, obviously all of these guys came from different walks of, walks of life, but all were in that Hollywood vein. His mom worked in a bank and um, she developed, because she was working with paper so much and having to keep logs, she at home crafted this concoction that she could put over numbers to edit things and fix numbers we know it as whiteout or liquid paper she oh. invented that what and and held the patent to it and sold it and made i mean there was a fortune and yeah. he grew up and inherited the liquid paper fortune so this guy wow. didn't have to be in the monkeys like he could he had his own production company and did his own thing. He did this just as his own creative interest and for fun, but the guy was loaded, you know. He wow. he had that liquid paper money. So yeah, very, <laughs> very, very strange thing. And then the last thing I'll say is um so in, in after the news of his passing, Ben Gibbard, who I think Death Cab is gonna be one of those I need the full catalog, uh, the full discography. That'll be after REM. Uh-huh. Um, but ben, so Ben Gibbard had actually worked with the Monkees a bunch. Uh, really? He wrote a, yeah, he wrote a song for them. So they did an anniversary release. I think it was a 50th anniversary release about five years ago. And um, there were a handful of artists that wrote songs for him. I'm blanking on some of the others. I think Noel Gallagher wrote one. Um, and he he wrote a song called Me and Magdalena that they performed for that album. It was like a collection of songs that they didn't record in the sixties that they went back and re-recorded. Oh, cool. Um, and then, and then songs that were written by other famous songwriters that they were friends with. And he got to know them. He performed with them a few times. And so when the news of Mike's passing came out, he went on Instagram as he did at the very beginning of lockdown mm-hmm. where he just like went live from his bedroom and was doing like mini death cab for cutie concerts solo uh-huh. uh, every night. So he did a tribute, like a five-song uh, acoustic kind of tribute to uh, to Mike Nesmith, all songs that Mike wrote, and then he did the the song that he wrote for the Monkees. So it's up there. It's wow. on social media. It's beautiful. I mean, Ben's fantastic. Um, the songs are great, man. Like these guys went and, um, and, and created their own kind of musical sound uh, out of uh, a sitcom. You know, out of yeah. Gilligan's Island level like sitcom, 
And it's still a funny show to watch today. Um, and it's sad that there's one left, you know? I mean, that, again, yeah. we've talked about it before. Like, that's just the way it is. We're going to talk it about is. the Beatles, and we've got two. But, like, yeah. you know, there's there's one monkey, two Beatles. we got a bunch of stones. Um, so yeah. that's the way it is. Um, of all of those, you would think the stones, I don't know. I felt like I they know. were the bigger partiers. So yeah. it's weird yeah. that they're around and Ozzy is still around. But um, Yeah, it makes sense that we lost all the Ramones. But like, yeah, I mean, it's sad. I love the remote. It's sad, but, but it, ma- it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it checks out. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last thing that I wanted to touch on here was just an obvious thing that everybody's heard about now. But like vinyl sales are just bananas. Yep. You know, like uh, they the the numbers from Black Friday, which admittedly I said last time, like. I looked at the lineup for for the record store day Black Friday and I kind of I skipped it. I went in afterwards, I grabbed a thing or two, most of it was gone, which is a good sign I guess, but like yeah. I don't think that this Black Friday was even that strong of a showing. Um and LP like vinyl sales accounted for 46% of all albums sold. That's digital and everything. Wow. Not that there are people buying that many digital albums, but that's, you know, Amazon digital albums whatever. Um and uh, about 55% of all physical, it was 1.46 million vinyl records in a week, like one Jeez. and a half million yeah, units. So, um, you know, we talk about the production. It's also, it's going somewhere, you know, like people, mm-hmm. people are buying these things. And uh, the initial Adele album uh, count came out and she's sold, you know, a quarter of a million copies already. Um, oh, wow. Like, it, it's a ton. I mean, of the vinyl I think specifically, the vinyl I think is a hundred and sixty thousand, okay. something around there. Like it's, it, I think the only person who sold more vinyl is Taylor Swift this year, and Adele's thing's only been out for two weeks. Right. So, Goodness. you know, we talked about how that they prioritized making sure that they had product on the shelves, and it looks like yeah. they were spot on. You know, like that people are going out. I think Adele's album is that tentpole uh, moment where people will spring and pay for the extra money to hang it on the wall and have it in this permanent form that you is tangible and you can hold it. Um, Right. There's something about it, and yeah, uh, who who knows really what it is at at the heart of it, but there people are realizing that there really is something to having whatever you want to call it, uh, a, a memento or uh, a, a token, something, mm-hmm. something physical that, that, you know, can't be, can't be taken away from them at the whim of a corporation. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Everyone's had that experience where you're a show or a movie that you absolutely love is just, randomly removed from the streaming platform that you, that you have access to. And, you know, initially everything was on Netflix and then everybody realized, Oh, we can, we can do our own thing and make, we don't have to, you know, license this stuff out. We have our own content. We can have our own streaming service. So now you've got Disney and, Paramount and, uh, you know, uh, Peacock. And it's like, they're all just doing their own thing now. Yeah. And people are like, well, what the heck now? 
you know, I, I got rid of cable and started the whole streaming thing because it was less expensive and it was everything in one, one, one source without having to piecemeal it out. And now things are being taken away from me that I initially had access to that I mm-hmm. paid for. And now I don't. So I think yeah. as time goes on, people are realizing the value of having a physical media and who knows why it's vinyl. That's just blowing up. Um, but there's, there's something to it. There's something about it. And uh, I'm, I, I can't, I can speculate, but I can't, you know, <laughs> I don't know what 160,000 people are thinking when, yeah. you know, when purchasing the Adele record, it's, it's well, there's something to the analog nature of it that you can't find in a video game. You can't find in a, a film or, or a TV show unless you're, unless you're actually dealing with reels, like physical film, which you never have like VHSs, no. I guess you did, but, um, you you never you're not going to be able to replicate that in a visual form, but in in audio you can get that mm-hmm. um, where the, the physical and the analog the actual um, the actual content is improved. Whereas, mm-hmm. like I I I think the best version of a movie is going to be the Blu-ray, but it still feels cold. You know, it doesn't. There's not a warmth to to that. They've the, the medium doesn't feel like you're you're engaging with it like you physically are. You have to yeah physically prepare and take care of your vinyl and engage with it, and it's not just slipping a disc into a drive. Yeah, you know? there um, there is just something, and and I made this comparison on the the Retrologic podcast, but mm-hmm. even something as simple as Christmas lights, the the difference between LED and yep. incandescent Christmas lights is, yeah, technically the LED lights can do more. They use less energy, uh, yeah. they'll probably last longer. They're less of a hassle to deal with. They don't get hot. They're not going to burn down your Christmas tree, but the, the, the incandescent bulbs have some kind of soul to them. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a, had a, I had a moment, um, when I, I recently picked up an, an old CRT television, mm. Um, somebody you, was, did you physically pick it up? Yes. Those things are heavy. They, wow. It okay. was heavy. Um, you've been eating your Wheaties. Good yeah. job. <laughs> it, I can't pick mine up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, it was a relatively small and it was kind of a later model. It was, it's one with that has the actual flat screen. Yeah. Um, and someone was literally giving it away for free. Uh, on Facebook marketplace. And they were like, please nice. come take this dinosaur off of my hands. People are paying for those now. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some going, I saw a Sony Trinitron going for $125. So it's like, yeah, some my local, people know my local what they're game doing. Store, yeah. My local game stores figured that out there. I mean, look, it's hard to carry inventory of that kind oh, of yeah. stuff because of space, but um, they sell them for like 60, 80, hundred bucks yep. now for There's things that I'm finding on the side of the road. Yeah. So I had this moment where I, so I got it home and cause I got, I had gotten that NES recently and right. I, I plugged everything up. I can, I, mm-hmm. I screwed in the RF adapter to the back of the nice. TV and yeah. I, I, I turned on the TV and I actually like jumped back 
it, it, I had a, I had a recoil and I have, I actually have video of it. There's like a moment where I, I kind of, when I hit the power button, I kind yeah. of do this, this little, like, Ugh. am I going to get electrocuted thing? Because yeah. it goes, it crackle, it goes pong. Oh. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, I felt it in my chest and it's like the, the, whatever is going on. I don't, I don't know the, you know, I'm not an mm-hmm. electrical energy engineer. I don't understand what it is that's happening inside that, that cathode ray tube, but it, it was like something physically changed in the room. It, it's not the yeah. same thing as yeah. turning on a flat panel display, an LCD or whatever. There's and, a hum to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you hear it. And my daughter, my older daughter, was like, What is that? It's hurting my ears. Cause you can wow. hear it. It, it yeah. kind of sounds like tinnitus a little bit. And no. so my, my younger daughter, was so enthralled with the, you know, she played Mario two for a lot mm-hmm. longer than I thought she would because it's hard. I don't know. She, she, she liked being princess beach and it was just a fascinating sure. new thing for her, this ancient mm-hmm. technology. But you know, my older daughter's like, can you, when, when she was playing it, she's like, can you close the door to that room? Because it's loud. And, wow. um, but I had a moment when I first turned it on and I st- first started fiddling with the NES and, you know, get, trying to get it to work. And cause it's a little bit of a process with, you know, 35 year old technology to get it yeah. to work. Yeah. And I started, I started playing and the, there was just such a similarity to the experience that I have when I put on a vinyl record mm-hmm. because it felt like, the character that I was controlling on the screen was an extension of me because it was so instantaneous. You know, it, it was, it was me deciding Mario to jump instead of I right. hit a button and then eventually a character on the screen reacts. You know what I right. mean? It just, it just feels real. And obviously yeah. the fidelity is nowhere near what modern games can do in the same mm-hmm. way that if we're talking fidelity wise, unless you have a very, very expensive setup, a CD is going to, again, fidelity wise, be more clear and accurate than a vinyl record for the most part. Correct. But it doesn't sound alive. Alive. Yeah. It's not warm. Putting on a record to me, you close your eyes. It feels like the band is in the room with you. Mm -hmm. And so I had that kind of similar almost semi euphoria not to get weird about it but no 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 it's it's a real thing so maybe these people are starting to realize especially in this day and age where you know covid has a lot of us staying inside a lot more than we normally would and you know everything is fake you know what i mean it's like oh did you see this video it's like oh yeah it's totally fake you know what i mean everything is fake everything's intangible right it it, you to have a part to to hold a piece of something to be a part of a thing i mean like an nft is never going to be what uh, a physical piece of something that's important to you exactly whether Mm -hmm. it's any sort of art um, I have to ask though, when you've turned on the CRTV, 
did you do the thing where you like put your arm up to the screen and all of the hair stands up on your arm? Because it's still super fun. To no, I need to try that. Yeah, you should do that. I remember doing that as a kid because I was just fascinated. Like if you put it up close, everything stands up and you're like, that it was kind of like watching Mr. Wizard's World or, or Bill Nye when they put their hand on the orb. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And so when I turned mine on, that's the first thing I showed my daughter. I was like, it's alive. Hand up here. Look at this. This is so cool, right? Watch what it did to me. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's alive. It's impacting me. The energy is there enough yes. that it's it's draw it's it's impacting me physically. Yeah. And I and I liken that um, to when you when you put a record on yeah. and you know that needle drops, there's that sudden like and it's almost startling, you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. like I got startled when I turn on that CRT. And then yeah. you hear something, no matter how good your system is, how good your cartridge is and all of that, yeah. you you hear something when that needle drops. But what are you actually hearing? Like, what is that? What is that energy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's in, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too... No, no, you're right. about it. <laughs> no, it's it's a hundred percent. I mean, like, I, I think that there's a lot to be said, like in in meditation and all of like using vibrations and using sound. Sound has such an uh, like uh, a subconscious impact on you across the board. Yep. That I'm sure that there is something there, um, especially if you hold nostalgia for it. But just the like physical warmth and and the the resonance in in your presence is enough i think yeah mm-hmm. um one other thing I, i'd be remiss in pointing out um is and and it's it's a trend that i love and i celebrate and i i i've been kind of screaming about how exciting it is for years now as uh-huh. you look at festival lineups and stuff but when you look at the top artists right now just on the chart it's Adele, it's Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo, Billie Eilish. You know, women yes. are the voice of pop culture, of music, of songwriting. I mean, it is it it is outrageous and exciting to see um, female voices just like getting the the due. And it was <coughs> watching watching Carol King's performance on the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing yeah. and hearing her talk about. Taylor Swift carrying the torch. Um, but you just see the people who broke the ceiling, the people who carried the torch through the eighties and nineties, there have always been powerful female voices in music, mm-hmm. but I don't think that there's a single guy doing anything like what women are doing. Not right, right now. now. I, no, there's, there's no one. I mean, there are some great singer songwriters out there, but there is no one who can hold any candle to yeah. any of these women across every genre, hip hop, R and B, indie, alt, whatever it is, like yep. country. It is crazy, man. Like I, I I'm here for it. It's fantastic. Yeah. It is it is taking music, every genre of music in new and beautiful directions. Um, it's very exciting. Um, I love it. And let and let it be on the heels of what we're gonna be talking about, let it be came back into the top 10 and sold like 20,000 copies yeah. <laughs> this past week. Um, so I, I'm again, like the, this, we're going to be talking about it for a reason. Like yep. this documentary has had a big impact and has reminded everybody of this band. Um, and so it's kind of fun alongside all of the pop records and some of the normal Christmas stuff to see, uh, let it be, uh, 
kind of come back into the conversation and be something that people are re, uh, engaging with. Although, and not to get ahead of myself, it's weird that it's not Abbey Road too. Like I know Let It Be yeah, is obviously like, yeah, it, I mean, there's so much Abbey Road in that documentary. So yeah, it's interesting we'll, we'll to see. We'll save that for, for the B side. For sure. Yeah. But that's a good, that's a good segue though. Yeah. Um, yeah. but before we flip it over as we do, as we do, um, want to hit a little bit of music history and celebrate some mm-hmm. birthdays. Um, so December 15th, 1944, um, I don't know how familiar you are with his catalog, but American big band musician, arranger, composer, and band leader Glenn Miller was killed when his aircraft disappeared in bad weather over the English Channel, traveling to entertain U.S. troops during World War II. Oh, my God. Um, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, that's that's how he he passed. He was literally the best-selling recording artist from 1939 to 1943. That's um, so crazy. I, I, I have very, very few memories of um, either of my grandparents listening to uh, either sets of my grandparents listening to music, but there are two memories that that stand out. One is my Italian grandmother making the sauce in the kitchen and bopping to Billie Jean playing on the radio. And the, the second is my grandfather Amazing. on the other side of my family um, sitting down next to his hi-fi and listening to Glenn Miller. So that is, wow. you know... It just indicative of the era that he grew up in. Um, and yeah, there's, that's a, I've got to go listen to some Glenn Miller. And so he, it, so he, I mean, did the, the, I don't, I got to look, did they find his plane ever? Like what? That's so crazy that like to think that any of the artists that we just talked about, if they went missing Amelia Earhart style in the midst of everything, right. I mean, it would be, it would be the most known thing you'd think forever. Well, it was that's so. It crazy. was the mid forties. Yeah. You know sure what I mean? I'm sure it was a big news item. Yeah, <laughs> it was big news. No but internet. like, what? Yeah. What? What can you do at that point? The technology isn't there to go scouring the ocean floor for the wreckage. You know what I mean? So, wow. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what happened on December fifteenth, nineteen forty four. Also on December fifteenth in nineteen eighty eight. Soul singer, King of Soul, James Brown, was sentenced to six years in prison for various offenses, including possession of weapons and resisting arrest. But he still is the King of Soul to this day. That's right. I don't, I don't care. The best. Uh, and then a few birthdays. Um, December 17th, 1939, uh, Eddie Kendricks of The, the Temptations. He, we lost him in 19, October 1992. December 17th, 1947, American drummer Jim Hodder, uh, Steely Dan. He also played drums on Linda Ronstadt's hit, You're No Good. I didn't know that. Mm. No, um, I didn't know that either. Hodder drowned like at his home swimming pool uh, what? in June of 1990. Yeah, what? what is it with musicians dying by Man. drowning? Yeah. That's like Guys, the third one that we've mentioned don't in as many as... <laughs> what are you doing? Man. Or just if if you're gonna go swimming, avoid any substances before. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think it's that swimming and substances do not mix. Um. Anyway, not to assume anything, but I mean, you know, 
it fits yeah. the profile, I guess. It probably does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then speaking of REM earlier, December 17th, 1958, happy birthday to Mike Mills, bass player of REM. Uh, and then we talked about the Stones earlier too, December 18th, 1943. Still kicking. Keith Richards. Who, yeah, who knows wow. how this guy, he was born before Glenn Miller passed away. He's, he's that old. Yeah. <laughs> how? Jeez. Right. That's You're crazy. Right. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. Vod- a lot of vodka and he's, cigarettes. He's it got, just, he, it worked at out some point the, the alcohol just preserves you instead of yeah. <laughs> if you get past a certain point, you know, that it's yeah, for sure. Or, or he's got the Aussie gene. I don't know. Well, how he that figured happened. it out. It, he, he drinks vodka and orange soda and little did we know that that's actually the magical elixir of life. <laughs> that is that's all you need to survive is orange soda and vodka. <laughs> well, switching to vodka yeah. didn't help Lemmy. Unfortunately. Just so you know, <laughs> that's true, but he wasn't drinking crush. Oh, it was okay. So it's you the need orange the Fanta. Soda. Okay. Fanta. Any, any of those that any orange soda is not a specific, any orange soda. Okay. Great. Yeah. Don't do pineapple. It's gross. <laughs> yeah, it's- that is gross. Um, and then also on December 18th, 1970, we just recently lost him, DMX. Yeah. Um, December 18th, 1980, happy birthday to Christina Aguilera. And Talked then, about her last time. Yeah. Come on. And then speaking of Billie Eilish a little bit earlier. That's right. Happy birthday, Billie Eilish, uh, December 18th, 2001. She was this is probably the first artist that we've celebrated uh, their birthday on this podcast that was born post nine eleven, which is weird. It's true, makes me feel yeah. old because it's like I feel like nine eleven was a few years ago, <laughs> and here she yeah. is, full blown adult. You know, one of the most popular artists in the world, and she she was born post nine eleven. She didn't wow. see it happen on TV like <laughs> like the rest of us. So yeah. it's, it's just weird. It's, it's interesting it to think about that. It is very weird and it's only going to happen more and more. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I just, as we're talking here, I am looking at this Glenn Miller stuff cause I am fascinated. It's a mystery, right? And it seems like there was an, uh, in 2010 to 2017, they opened up an investigation to really? try and figure out oh, what exactly the plot happened. Thickens. Because there was some kind of movie back in the day, and some navigator came out and thought that he figured out like what might have happened, and then they did a bunch of research. I'm gonna have to do a deep dive. This oh. is fascinating. I mean, I can't read all of this right now, but it is there's a lot here. Why and is like there not a doc- Is there a documentary on this? There has to be. It looks like there was a film in the 50s. I don't see anything recent, but I again, this is a cursory look, but I can't believe that I'm looking at like from his estate, I'm looking at stuff from like 2019 where they're still trying to Wow. They're still investigating it. They have in 2019, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery is still investigating his disappearance. Oh my God. This is amazing. I love that you opened this up. I This is what I'm going to do uh, this weekend. <laughs> With the, so we're going to launch an entire like yes. offshoot podcast about. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Like, like uh, murder crime podcasts do so well. Why don't we just do that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> This is this is a whole spin-off. 
I love this. We'll, also, it's creepy. Well, yeah. Well, but focus on you know musicians that were either murdered or died under mysterious circumstances. Yeah, wait. You, yeah, you found that guy who got run over by like a bunch of wheat, right? Like yes, there was that the, guy. Yeah, he was from the, the Moody Blues the, or something. It was no. one of the uh, one of the string. He was a cello player for Electric Light Orchestra. Yellow? Yes. Yeah. And a, yeah. a huge bale of hay somehow came loose and came barreling down a hill and smashed into his vehicle. And I hate to laugh about Very it. Very sus. But... <laughs> no, it's sus, dude. And I think sus. that we're going to get into Glenn Miller first, and then we're going back to that one. We, yeah, yes, inquire because inquiring <laughs> yeah. minds want to know. That's right. All right. Yeah. Well, to get a little bit away from people dying under mysterious circumstances, we're going to flip it oh. over to side B. And today, B stands for Beatles. And that's right. We're going to give the only unique perspective that we can give on the Beatles, which is our own personal perspective. And so right. we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Get Back. And we will get back after we flip it over. Welcome back. Thank you for flipping it over with us. This is side B of our 14th episode of Retro Groove. And uh, both Liam and I have just recently finished the three-part docuseries by Peter Jackson, specifically about the Beatles' um, process of recording or writing, recording, and performing their Let It Be album. Um, and we've got our own personal thoughts and opinions. But before we get to that film uh, or docuseries, whatever you want to call it, um, Liam, do you have like, do you remember like your earliest Beatles encounter or hearing them for the first time or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, a bit. I will say just on the documentary real quick that sure. we're very lucky that, that he didn't turn this into a trilogy. Um, he basically did. It's a three-part <laughs> <did>. series, <laughs> but he likes to make trilogies. Yeah. And so I'm not surprised that all three pieces are almost three hours at length. Like, it felt like he hobbited us a little bit a on little this. A little bit, a little bit. I'm happy about it. There's a lot of great content there, but like... There were smog moments where I'm like, okay, God, like this, like this is a, there's a lot. Like I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard get back about 50 times now. Right, right. And, and I, I don't know what's going on. Um, personal stuff. So I, my mom was a massive Beatles fan. Actually, there's no video component to this podcast, but I'll show you. So I've got this record here. Wow. This is hers. 
She's had this thing with me where, uh, and now I won't do it, but for a little while there, she was like trying to get me to sell it because it's actually. Well, tell us, tell uh, us what it is because. It's sorry. It's introducing the Beatles. It's their first album. And it's got this thing. If you, I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but it's got this thing that looks like a stain over here, and it's actually George's yeah, shadow. Yeah, it's his shadow. And uh-huh. the the version of this, because the distribution was weird, the version of this also has this like rainbow VJ sticker. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, it's worth a couple hundred bucks. Wow. Who knows what it's actually worth? But so my mom would every once in a while would be like, "You should sell my Beatles record," and I'm like. I think I'm going to hold on. Yeah. (laughs) And then we'll figure that out. That's not the Um, way that I roll. (laughs) But yeah, but like we definitely um, like things like twist and shout would be stuff that like we would just jokingly around the house saying my mom would be singing it or you'd hear it. I remember hearing it at like elementary school sock hop dances and stuff, you know, like the Beatles, you're just viscerally um, exposed to. And I'll say admittedly, as a kid, it kind of gave me that knee-jerk reaction of not really appreciating or engaging with it. Uh-huh. Um, this is old music. <laughs> yeah, it kind of felt like that. Like, this is my mom's music. Yes. And uh-huh. I didn't want to listen to my mom's music. My dad listened to ZZ Top, and I didn't want to listen to that either. And then I came around on both, you know? Like, I uh, I definitely I had a buddy who used to sing Beatles songs on he'd play acoustic guitar and they were good he'd sing like Rocky Raccoon and stuff and I'd sing along like mm-hmm. I knew it um, but it didn't resonate with me I never had yeah. a Beatles fandom moment um, and then I, when I went to college my roommate was a jazz major and he had the White Album wow. and I heard piggies for the first time and i was like this song's amazing it's a george harrison joint yeah and uh i was like wow okay hold on like suddenly it went from uh twist and shout mom sock hop music to like oh right these guys like got really elevated and figured stuff out and so the first vinyl record that I went to a used record store and bought was Sgt. Pepper, which remains to be my favorite. I have like three different copies of Sgt. Pepper at this point, like CD, vinyl, right. whatever. Um, so Sgt. Pepper is that that was my moment because that was like suddenly it, that was that merging for me of like it's this pop sensibility, just untouchable songwriting but experimental, right? Yeah. Like there's so much going on there. And you can go back to the earlier records and see that if you're looking for it and you figure it out. You can but watch Sergeant the progression. Pepper, that, mm-hmm. Right. But that's the basis of Sgt. Pepper for me is it's like, it, it, it's so weird and, and all over the place, but so smart and so well-written. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So then, so then I started using his record player to listen to Sgt. Pepper and then he would throw on the white album. Um, and yeah, and then just over the years, you know, just kind of, uh, experiencing their music more and more again, I've never, I've never been a massive super fan, but I've always had uh, a really strong appreciation. Um, I definitely am my mother's son when it comes mm-hmm. to my favorite Beatle. She was a George guy, uh, George lady. I'm a George guy. There There's, and, and I will say that this documentary, 
wholly reaffirms me yes. as a George friend and and honestly made me a big Ringo fan. Yeah, Not to get dude. ahead of myself, but like Absolutely. man, Ringo's fun. Ringo yeah. is dope. Ringo's great. <laughs> he is there for it. I love Ringo Starr now. Um, but yeah, no, so George Harrison, fantastic. It's fun to um kind of if you earmark some of your favorite Beatles songs and you look like looking at them and I'm like, oh, okay, so George Harrison wrote a lot of them. Like mm-hmm. I love Paul McCartney and London songs. They're all great, mm-hmm. but I, it is fun that some of the ones that hit me the most, like something and here comes the sun and while my guitar gently weeps and piggies, like I'm like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Like I was connecting with George Harrison before I knew I was connecting with George yep. Harrison. Yep. You know? And it's, and I um, think a lot of people have that experience yeah. where as they get older and realize that, you know, there were particular songwriters and some of the songs were written by this person or it was primarily written by that person, patterns start to emerge. Mm -hmm. And um, I always say that, not to say that only George Harrison fans are real Beatles fans, but if someone says they're that George Harrison is their favorite Beatle, they are mm-hmm. a real Beatles fan because I guess <laughs> because a fake Beatles fan wouldn't say that. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's true. That's so, true. Uh, what about you? Well, so again, not to retread old ground, but the the first memory that I have is being introduced to the Beatles by my aunt Sue, and. Um, from my memory, I sh- well, I should say the first song that I remember hearing is "I Want to Hold Your Hand," and mm-hmm. oh my you know, god, I liked it, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I didn't, you know, I wouldn't say that it was a life changing moment or anything, but it was memorable. What, it feels like an Aunt Sue song, like it, absolutely, like it's a catchy song, but it feels like an Aunt Sue song. But yeah. what re- and and there was that kind of aspect too, like oh, this is music that you know, my parents liked when they were kids. It's, you know what I mean? There's that feeling of, it it feels like old rock and roll music, early, early rock and roll music, which it is. And, and, you know, but Mm -hmm. when you're that age, you don't really have an appreciation for that yet. What turned me into a real fan was at some point I found myself watching the help movie. And so as soon as I heard for some reason, help it's the song yeah that was like whoa that just like that blew my mind for some reason i must have been six or seven i wasn't Mm -hmm. you know older and wiser or anything it just was for some reason i connected with that um the, the the movie the movie to me felt very like Monty Python esque. So I liked it yeah. for that reason. Um, Cause even at that early age, I was a huge Monty Python fan, which probably shouldn't have been watching at that age. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the content, say. but um, it, it, it had an effect on me. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess, you know, a, a little bit later on in my teenage years, when I started actually, you know, um, you know, going through my parents' old records that were just, you know, in a box in the garage that they, they didn't care about anymore because CDs were mm-hmm. the thing now. And right. discovering artists that way, um, I I came across a copy of the White Album, and I was like, oh, Beatles, I remember the Beatles. And 
put it on, and then it's like, what happened? Yeah. To the Beatles, <laughs> what is yeah. this? Like, and then you know, without seeing the transition of you know rubber soul to revolver and go going mm-hmm. through the process that's a big jump going from help to the white album <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so um you know th- those are some kind of key memories for me um well and the white album it's so it's interesting because the white album comes into play a bunch in this documentary yeah um we're coming off of the heels of it right we're coming off of the magical mystery tour uh, or, or yellow submarine rather um mm-hmm. and, and and then uh and the white album but um the white album like as you and I are both kind of talking about is that transitionary point or that like aha moment at least yeah. for us again anecdotally for us where we're like oh the beatles are more than twist and shout and i want to hold your hand right they are this elevated thing that is so dynamic. And then when you look at Revolver and and Sgt. Pepper or whatever, it's always, it's been there. Like you, right. They, you're it's right, there is this up. progression mm-hmm. there. It's like they're but okay the computer. It's just so undeniable, right? Yeah, it is, you're right. Um, but I think that, uh, I think it's so undeniable and that's why it's interesting seeing this part of the band then, yeah. right, in this documentary. Um, it's also interesting because I think that before all of this, around the time of the White Album, that Ringo left the band. Yep. Like, I think in 68 or whatever it was that he quit the band for a while um, and then and then came back. And then, again, I don't know if we should say that there's spoilers. Is it, can there be spoilers <laughs> I was for th- no. documentary? No, I mean, this is it's historic a documentary about something. Yeah, yeah. there's no yeah. spoilers here. We can talk about so it. So George leaves the band, right? Yep. And George quits during this documentary. Um, and and Ringo, meanwhile, seems just so jazzed about, like he's so nonchalant and just ready to be there and, and happy. And He's just and ready like, to play. He just wants to play. Uh, he doesn't care who's there. He makes me so happy. He's yeah. almost like the comic relief through the whole thing, through Definitely. the tension. He's the guy. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll say, like, there is this thing that kept kind of creeping into my head throughout all of this because the initial part of this documentary, the framework of it is that the reason why this is happening is because of Ringo. Ringo is going to be in a movie. Oh, and yep. There's a production so there's schedule a deadline. that the mm-hmm. band, the Beatles, have to adhere to Ringo Starr's movie yep. schedule because it's an Apple Films thing. So it's all in the family. It's not like he's really wholly going off and doing his own thing. It's still within the Apple right. brand and, mm-hmm. and family. So I just everything like. Every time there's tension, I start wondering, like, does Ringo feel like he caused this because it's his <laughs> thing? But he never, it never once comes up where he's just like, well, maybe I could push my production. You know, like it. Now nah, it it's probably is just there. Th- yeah. It probably wasn't his decision. He probably doesn't yeah. really have a say in it anyway, um, as right. far as that aspect of it goes. <clears throat> but right. it, it is interesting to see, you know, you, you would think that they should have as much time as they could possibly need 
to create yeah. whatever it is that they want to create. But, you know, it, it's almost like, it almost feels like they painted themselves into a corner on purpose. Um, Maybe. <clears throat> which is, uh, as somebody who is familiar with the creative process, creates music, mm-hmm. it, there is something to be said for that. There's there's something... Like setting boundaries yeah, or something? Especially in, yeah, especially in the modern era of, you know, I have my little digital recording studio at home. I'm not paying somebody $60 an hour to record my music. You know what I mean? So there's, I'm essentially unlimited as to the amount of time that I can take. So painting yourself into a corner can be a very powerful creative tool because it forces you to move forward and you have to do something. And sometimes digging deep to, to just get something done rather than, oh, I've got all the time in the world to figure this out, it forces, you know, we've all experienced similar situations like that at work where, right. you know, if you have a, 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 a report or a project or something that's due, you know, if it's two weeks away, you're not even thinking about it. Yeah. But if it's due and, the and- next day, you, <laughs> you're, you're using all of your skill sets to get that thing completed and make it make it as good as you possibly can because there's right. a deadline. And, and you're, you're also in this, in this point, uh, this comparison, you're bringing up your own ability to self police. Right. You don't have a, in this scenario that you're talking about, you don't have a parent. And that is what's happening here with the Beatles at this point, right? Brian Epstein is dead. He's, right. He overdoses. He has been their manager and now they are they they're self-managed they decide right. not to not they don't they don't have somebody else they're going to trust they keep talking throughout the documentary and John eventually yep. meets with Alan Klein who's the Rolling Stones manager uh-huh. um but like that i mean this is the end of the band as we know right. like, the, like there is no Beatles to manage after this um and you know i again we're talking about things that I'm sure have been researched and there are dissertations written about of all of this. But but like Brian, the death of Brian Epstein in many ways is the death of the Beatles. Like it seems like like without his direction, a lot of what frustratingly happens throughout this documentary is just they they go round in circles. They can't make decisions for right. themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're at this moment too. It's like the perfect storm of growth and self-expression and everybody's got their own vision on things yep. and, and they've become who they are. And at the moment that they need someone with a firm hand to say, this is what the Beatles are and this is what we're doing, mm-hmm. they have no one. Right. They do it themselves. And so your your comparison is so apt because it's like, how how do you police yourself as a solo artist, let alone a group of four artists right. that are trying to be one and can't be one. No, and that don't see eye to eye much of the time, and there's a lot of concessions being made. Um, you know, I, I have a question. I have a question ahead. for you, real quick. So, as a musician, as a as as a creator, right? When you watch the songwriting process in this documentary, is it is it everybody has their own 
right? There's a, there's, I, I've, I've heard artists that pluck things out of the air and then you have Rivers Cuomo who has an Excel document that he can search, you know, like <laughs> there is, everybody has their own way, but I gotta say, like, I definitely remember taking a course in college that showed a way or various ways to uh, examine and interpret art, whether it was painted art, music art, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember as I was learning this thinking like, I don't know if you can do that because the artist has a vision and you can spend your time trying to figure out what the artist's vision was, or you can spend the time trying to think of how it makes you feel. I don't know which is right, but it seems like it should probably be the latter and not the former. Like I, I do appreciate why someone writes lyrics mm-hmm. and and the purpose of a song, but at the same time, I think that art is all about the engagement. And so when I watch them write these things, when yeah. I see like the genius almost of like where it's coming from as Paul has a melody and he's bouncing things around, right? Or, or George, any of them. Yeah. And they don't know what the words are. The yep. words don't mean anything. Nope. Right? Like, I, I, as a creator, do you feel that way sometimes where you're just like, you don't know what it is, but you're forming it? Yep. I don't, I don't know. It, absolutely. And again, th- <clears throat> this probably isn't indicative of, of every uh, creator, of no matter what type it is, because everyone's got their own process. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even a person might have multiple processes that, you know, one song might be written this way and another song is written another way. <clears throat> and even, even if going back to the Beatles, even talking about Paul, you know what I mean? We watched on film get, uh, get back, be formed out of nothingness. What a, how amazing was that dude? That's I like mean, the, the moment that of that the whole exists. film. Yeah, it clicks. It like I I can't I I have that written down here. I love it. Like it clicks and John's not even there, right? Like it's you just watch it come from the ether where he's just like it's just happening. Oh, right. it feels so good. And yeah. it's almost almost it almost happens because John isn't there. Because yeah, they're just no, they're just kind of goofing around. Yeah, he's um, like, what am I going to find? I've got to pull, I'm going to pull something out. What do I have? What can it be? And yeah. So it's like, yeah. so we watched Paul have this moment where it's just, they're just jamming. They're just goofing around. They're just playing instruments. And you you watch the, the melody kind of form and come in and out of, uh, you know, existence. And the, the lyrics aren't anywhere close to what they end up being. And he's, mm-hmm. he's just working it out uh, and it takes a while to get to where it sounds anything like what, what we know the song in its final form to be. But yeah. Paul also, you know, yesterday, the song yesterday came to him in a dream. And I've had experiences like that too, where I'll hear practically a fully formed song in a dream. And then, wow. you know, most of the time there's, there's really no feasible way for me to like get it all down or, or, or figure out how to turn that into reality and manifest it. But, um, it's just interesting that there can be, you know, it's not just like each artist has the one particular process to create Mm -hmm. something and make something happen. And I'm sure that goes for, you know, any other, you know, medium, not just music. 
Um, but yeah, there were, there were moments that I really identified with where, you know, they're working out a melody and they're going like, they don't know what the words are yet, but the melody is there. Yeah, George says that he's been trying to figure out the words to something for six months, and yes. he's just been saying cauliflower or pomegranate. <laughs> pomegranate. Or uh-huh. and, and it's like, and they're all like, yeah, just just throw words around yeah, until just the right whatever. one hits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, what's crazy for me is like, when you think of artist interviews or features or whatever that you see or you hear, one of the first questions that every artist gets asked is, what is this song about, right? What is this about? And I'm like, we should probably never ask that again. Right. We should probably let it come up in a conversation if it can, because sometimes there is deep meaning. Or with some of these Beatles songs, as you see it, like they come from who knows where. There's right. no answer and then they decide what the message is, right? They're like, okay, well, the words are then going to mean this because I feel this way about white nationalism or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, this is now what the song is going to be about. And so you let the artist dictate what the song is about. Mm-hmm. But asking an artist where what a, what a song is about or where it comes from, I, it's where does the air come from? I mean, you can figure it out, but, right. like, at God, man, what? How does complicated? It matter, and, right? uh, yeah, it doesn't matter <clears throat> to what it actually makes you feel. Um, so I just uh, such a big takeaway from from all of this, um, and and also just as I looked through Abbey Road, because um, you could you know you look at the credits and you figure it out as we're, you're watching George kind of exert himself and find his confidence mm-hmm. and want to push in as a songwriter. And then you see also Paul's frustration that John isn't writing. Like he's not coming in there and doing what Paul's doing and he's not bringing things into this. And then when you look at the liner notes on these last two albums, yeah. he's a co-writer. You can see him co-writing on right. a lot of this, but he's not bringing in this stu- this material. Yeah. Um, and you see that it's the Paul show he mm-hmm. wants it to be in many ways Paul wants it to be the Paul show he's trying to be diplomatic but he has a vision and then you see the George tension there where George feels like he's being dismissed because yeah it, again I'm reading into the situation but the way I interpret it yeah. is Paul is frustrated with the situation as a whole he's frustrated and sad about losing his like quintessential writing partner mm-hmm. who established one of the most important songwriting duos in existence. Exactly. And and then you have this guitarist who you've loved and worked with since day one mm-hmm. who wants to have a voice and you're like, I'm just trying to deal with this other right. thing right now. <laughs> right. And not and and dismissing him and the guy's like, well then I'm leaving. Right. Goodbye. Exactly. Which is so fair, you know? Yeah. Um you can't blame yeah, I, George, definitely. Not at all. And yeah. I, so I, Yeah, I, I walked away from this like bigger George fan than than ever before. Yeah. I was always a George fan. I, I agree with you on, you know, Ringo no pun intended being the the unsung star of the show where yeah. you know the the other the other Beatles are you know they they look tired and they look frustrated and then you know you you look over at Ringo and he's like putting a a music stand together and like you know s- <laughs> you know 
aping to the camera and like yeah. doing silly stuff with it. He's just there having fun. But a band needs a backbone yeah. too. Like yep. how important that is. Like as as that kind of support, he was always there. Yep. Always there and smiling and happy to be there and excited about this. And he knew what was happening. Everybody yes. knew through the whole thing that this was the end. Like it's always known throughout all of this that they know that this is the end. Um mm-hmm. and I love there's this little part you can blink and miss it where they're working on a Ringo song, Octopus's Garden. Yeah, right? I That's love that his part. song. Mm-hmm. And it's him and George working through his song. And he's like, okay, well, I've got my thing I want to do. And like, it never, there's no contention or whatever. It just is a thing that exists. Yeah. And, and it's it's a beautiful little moment. And so with all of the George and Paul and everything that's happening, you just see this little thing where like Ringo has his creative stamp and he does his thing. And then the rest of the time, he's just in the pocket. Yeah. You know, he's just... He's he's carrying for sure. Um, I another thing about we were talking about the misconceptions that can exist from uh, like time, right? We yep. were talking about how uh, we would think, you know, it's the Beatles; they can do whatever they want. We'd think that the police wouldn't shut them down or try to <laughs> shut them down uh-huh. at the end, right? Um, but another thing that kept coming up that I just found so interesting is money, mm-hmm. like. They talk about not having recouped everything from the Magical Mystery Tour yet. They're talking about, like, who's getting Royalties. the amps, who's, mm-hmm. who's paying for the amps yep. for this thing. And then they're talking about the Maharaji at one point, and which is, I mean, my wife was watching here and there, I mean, nine hours or whatever, but, like, she punched in at one point, and, and there's a whole thing with the Maharaji that blew my mind. But real quick, the Maharaji thing, one of them makes a joke saying, I'd love to have that money. And another one is, yeah, I know. And I'm thinking, like, you're the Beatles. <laughs> and, but yeah, you have to, like, at that point, you didn't have the franchising. You didn't have the stuffed figures and the action figures or whatever it was. And they didn't really tour much. Like, I'm sure that they made plenty of money. You saw the fur coats. You saw the cars. Yeah. They were living their life. They were fine, but it wasn't this exuberance that you'd think would exist at the end of the Beatles, man. Like they were the biggest band and they're still talking about who's paying for the boat or the proposed boat right. to Tripoli or yeah. whatever. Cause they're like, I don't have that money. Nope. Uh, it, you, it's the Beatles. What are you talking about? You don't have that money. And they eventually, uh, if, 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 if memory serves, this is cause this is off the top of my head, but so the the at one point it was the remaining Beatles and then the family members of those that had passed had to sue EMI to mm-hmm. to actually get the royalties that they were deserved. Yeah. And yeah. No, it, and know, then Michael Jackson bought their publishing or something. Like oh yeah, that's a whole other story. <laughs> and I love um, I always love that video of Paul McCartney kind of. Um, doing his Michael Jackson impression, telling the story of what happened. Um, that's, Oh, I'm going to buy your records. (laughs) I'm going to buy your songs. (laughs) That's a great clip. Like he taught Michael of the opportunity of, yeah. And then Michael's like, okay, I'm going to do that to you. So, (laughs) um, but so back on the Maharaji thing or, or Maharaji thing, um, so you see George has the Hare Krishna folks right. with him, right? At the at the the first sound stage. Yes. Um 
And then later in the documentary, they're talking about that excursion to India. And there's that poignant moment, man. I, I, I jotted it down because it was like, they're talking about how they didn't do the work that they probably should have done, or I forget how they phrased it, but it was something to the effect of like, when we were there, it was kind of like school and we, we phoned it in and didn't actually do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's Paul saying it to the group with John in agreement or, or maybe vice versa. And George kind of says, well, if you had found yourself there, then you wouldn't be who you are right now. Yeah. Like it's this really in your face kind of subtle George. thing where it's like, <laughs> I did the work. <laughs> yep. You didn't. Like y'all are the ones who are this thing. I went there. I came back transformed. This is who I am now. Uh-huh. And you guys are just realizing that like you kind of squandered this opportunity. But the weird thing is for me as a mild fan, I always thought that all of them came back transformed, especially John. Like I thought that part of his enlightenment came from that. And to hear this, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, wait, John didn't come back from India, a changed person. Like he admits it right there that like he kind of phoned it in during that trip. Yeah. And that, that that was jarring for me. That was, that, that shocked me. Yeah, and and you can kind of see that in his kind of later philosophy is that he, you know, he he found his path in some something else entirely, and yeah. it's it is interesting to see. I, I just a side note. I love how they did this in 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 the film because as yeah. you know, there, it's footage of them talking about this experience and at one point they're even talking about you know the the reels of video footage that they have uh, but 16 then, to 35 yeah yeah but then they splice in video from the trip mm, into the right, film yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's cool so it's cool to see them you know go back and forth like that you know it'll show them talking about it and then you know uh, what i love that the filmmakers did is that that at one point John is joking about, you know, um, oh, the, uh, when that happens, we'll put letters on the screen at, that say, you know, a film by John yeah, Lennon. Film by John Lennon, and, and they, they put it. it on the screen. That's gr- I thought that they was really great. That was yeah, wonderful. That was, that was a great moment. That was good. I, I laughed yeah, out I loud at say, that. The storytelling, because again, there's no in a lot of rock docs or whatever, you have talking head moments, and you need talking head moments. And in this, it was them themselves in the moment right. in the raw footage, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were, it was so fly on the wall and so well put together in the editing room. You can see why Peter Jackson spent years working on this, that you didn't need, there was, you know, you had occasional text that went along the, the bottom to that explain. gave you the context, right. mm-hmm. but you didn't need much of that because the band was doing it themselves in the archival footage, right. it told its own story by the way that he edited it. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, 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 the thing that I kept coming back to, and I don't know if you've ever had this personal experience, but what this kept feeling like, you know, you you try to find your, or you when you engage with something, you draw parallels and find comparisons to your life. Mm-hmm. And as I watched this. It felt so much like it has felt for me at times 
reconnecting with childhood friends, um, high school friends or whatever that I had a bond with. And then years later you reconnect and there's still that echo. There's still that want to have that bond and you'll never not have what you had, but you've also become something wholly different. Yes. And you're doing that dance like these times in the studio felt very much like conversations that I've had evenings spent where I'm reconnecting and I'm like, this is it. Like we might not, th- there's not going to be a, a, a re-engaged flame of right. friendship out of that. And that's okay. This is it. Like you can feel that everybody knows in the back of their head like we've all become different people now and this can't exist anymore and we have to come to terms with that because if you force it to it's probably a, it's, it's an even bigger mistake right you could you, yeah. you force yourself to do something and then it's completely disingenuous and it can it can torpedo everything oh yeah for um, sure but it felt very familiar like oddly familiar to me like it it i felt myself slipping into the discomfort between paul and john where like Especially with Paul, it felt Paul felt hurt. He felt yeah, like you can see it. He wanted the old days, and he could tell that it was never coming back. Yeah, the the one part of it that really got me choked up is when you know uh, George had quit at this point, and it's like the next day, like John doesn't show Ringo's up. Ringo's there. I mean, yeah. Ringo's there, of course, but you know. You know, I, I I think it was Paul that looked at Ringo and was like, and then there were two, and he's and he's glassy eyed, yes, yeah. and he's like, you can tell he's trying to keep it together for the cameras, but I was yeah. like, oh god, because you know, you know me, I'm basically a Paul guy, and yeah. that hurt, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But I know the phenomenon that you're talking about kind of all too well, even to the point where, you know, I, I've got a, a friend that I met in eighth grade and we, we literally met and started playing rock and roll music together in like the storage closet of the school where we met. Oh man. And so, and then we, you know, formed a band and we played music together. And, you know, when I converse with him now, you know, typically via Facebook, of course, Mm -hmm. um, I still have so much deep love and respect and admiration for him. Uh, and he's creating some amazing things, but it's right. like, I, we are completely different people than we yeah. were back then. And it's like, I wish that I could say otherwise. And it's not a negative thing against him or anything like no, that, but of course not. I could, there's no way that I could work with this person creatively just because right. of how different, you know what I mean? And I, I wish it would be different because nowadays you can collaborate without having to even be on the same continent. So one, one of my favorite groups right now is creating a new album and, you know, one of the three members of the band is across the pond in the UK and two of them are here in the States and they're creating their album you know, sending files back and forth. So if you have the same vision or the same kind of 
brain space or whatever it is. And again, like you said, it's nothing against one Not or at the all. other. It's just trajectory. Yep. It's wholly trajectory. The vision is different. Um, uh, you're you're not the same people that you were. And, you know, the, and it's funny because the Beatles weren't even together for that long, comparatively speaking. So, uh, right. It's, it's, it's such a short span of time. And Ten years? Uh, that, probably yeah. less than that. Um, yeah. But... You know, you, especially in that kind of age bracket of your life, you know, or mm-hmm. early going from late teens, early twenties into your thirties, that is like the biggest transition as far as, as yeah. far as who you are as a person. So yeah, yeah you're, you're not going to see eye to eye with people that at one point you were inseparable. So yeah, I feel that 100%. Um we should probably talk about Billy Preston, right? We well, yes, and we I man. brought him up last episode, but yeah. you know, I I do feel like they even if it was unofficial um but as far as I know, he did get writing credits and his name is on um I know for sure that his name is on the single, but it's what I'm looking for right now. Yeah. Oh, and you're looking at liner notes and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not seeing. Come on. Yeah. But yeah, I might be missing. He something is effectively one of the Beatles, at least for Get Back. I mean, it's the only reason that this any of this really happens, right? <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's one of the main reasons why George comes back to begin with, and um, yeah, it's. I mean, he is. He is that um, that glue for sure, or that like sounding board. I mean, you have Ringo as the familiar stalwart, but like he's that like like fantastic energy and shiny object that you see each of them engaging with individually, mm-hmm. and then all of them can kind of direct their uncomfortable energy <laughs> aside to focus on him, yeah, because. He is not this known entity that has all this baggage to it, and he's also wildly like talented and and can do anything. And like, I don't think that any of this happens without him there. Like, I I you very possible the situation dissolve before all of that, and Mm -hmm. I think like when he comes into the picture, the energy of the room gets to the point where they can have these hard conversations and work through these songs. Mm-hmm. I, 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 he, it was such a game changer. For and again, sure. that was George's call. You hear George talking about him up top saying, yeah, you know, he saw him with Ray Charles and he's kind of stole the show, like raving about this guy and, and very, it's foreshadowing. Yeah. Like, and again, it's, it's clever editing from Peter, but it also is just raw content, like foreshadowing, um, what is to come. And, he, you know, in a similar way that Ringo is, he, 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 it just seems like he just wants to play. Cause it's like, I can, he was just there sitting in, you know what I mean? He, yeah. he probably assumed that he wasn't getting paid for what he was yeah. doing. He just wanted to yeah. chill with the, with the Beatles and, you know, yeah. George, who, if I'm not mistaken, was basically his friend and mm-hmm. play some, dope music and yeah. like as, as big of a fan of Paul 
as I am, if, if I had to pick, you know, if I was in that room and I had to pick two people to actually create music with as a collaborative effort, I'm picking George and Billy. I'm sorry, Ringo and Billy. I want, I want Ringo and I want Billy. If I, if I could, they seem like they're collaborators. Yeah. The other, all the other guys had their own vision. Mm -hmm. I mean, John, again, John admittedly through all of this seems like when he's there and when he can be present, he's actually a good collaborator through all of this. He goes back and forth. Um, and again, in that kind of like, but (laughs) odd engagement where they're like, they're making the weird, uh, like inappropriate fart jokes and, and, and like dirty jokes to each other and singing through their teeth and like trying to do all these Uh things that you, you do to cut the tension and like it, like echoes of that, juvenile friendship that you've fostered 10 years ago and it's just not there anymore. Um, But yeah, he's, I mean, you can see he's wholly distracted with everything else that he's got going on in his life. Yeah. Namely Yoko and his own vision on things and the stuff that's being written in the newspapers that he's reading and and such. And he's got, he's got his own vision. Yeah. it, It does feel like John is there collaborating at the very least, somewhat begrudgingly. He, yeah. you know, I'm sure feels an obligation and, you know, is still friends with these people, but there, I'm sure that energy is there. Like we both talked about having a similar experience where it's like, man, these aren't these, I love these people with all of my heart and I would do anything for them, but these are not the people that I grew up with. Um, yeah. So it's, and it's, it, it creates a really, really interesting dynamic. And there is also something to be said about, you know, that tension and that pressure creating a diamond where, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've got everybody just agreeing and high-fiving each other all the time, like, is that really going to make for the best piece of art? Like, no, probably not. No. And we're talking about Abbey Road, Let It Be and the White Album. I'm going to lump in there because there was already the existing tension. Yeah, for sure. This is this is all on the heels of the tension off of that album, which it's look, it's hard to look at this. I I said I'm a Sgt. Pepper guy because that's just that's my nostalgia point and I appreciate it. Revolver is one of the best albums of of all time, arguably. But like. These last three albums, the real last three albums, not Mm -hmm. um, Yellow Submarine as it is, uh, are it it is that tension and that uh, those difficult times that they're working through, but also their individual growth. Like these guys persevered through it. They could have just put thrown the towels in, and we wouldn't have because again, as we touched on earlier Mm -hmm. on, this album is this this documentary rather is not about let it be it's abbey road and let it be it's both of them like those are the albums that come out of this whole thing and both albums abbey road comes out before let it be right um yes and and uh neither of these could exist they could you we watch the fact that the end of the beatles was probably there before these albums were made and yet they cared enough about each other and about the 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 the, they attempted Mm -hmm. to keep the band together enough 
to build these last projects to like get this last stuff done. Yeah. Um, and in an light of that, yeah. It, yeah. I was just going to say in light of that, it, it's, it has no right being the absolute pinnacle of pop music that it is. <laughs> you sure. Except, except, and maybe this is like an, an optimist perspective on it, but it maybe is indicative of the amount that they actually, uh, the talent that they had, mm-hmm. but the amount that they actually did care about each other. Absolutely. Right? Like, like the fact that, as you put it, the pressure was enough to create a diamond mm-hmm. speaks to the amount of ultimate investment that each of these members did did put into it that they all did stay that you didn't just have a member walk away and stay walked away Mm -hmm. that they that you heard the audio no video of that paul and john conversation where they're like this is why this is happening and this is what we need to do and we need to address this or or this is just over now yep they cared enough to do that they didn't have to they um they did swallow to their pride to a certain extent and you know, have a, um, you know, have a come to Jesus moment, as they say. I don't know if that's a Texasism, but they, yeah, no, it is. They, they really had to self reflect and make some, some hard decisions and some changes. Right, and this, and this goes on beyond the film. I mean, the film ends February first, basically, right? And, and. It, the the recording sessions do go on beyond the the credits rolling of right. them coming in the next day. It's not like they it's framed as they come in the next day and they just complete everything, but they go on they they go on writing and forming stuff to becomes these two albums throughout the next few months. So right. the band does continue on for a bit. They just they split after Abbey Road, yeah. I think just before Let It Be comes out. Um but there's one other thing that really stuck out to me that goes along with what we're talking about right now, and it's that point that comes up with um, at, right before they do the rooftop performance, and they're having another one of these kind of meetings that seems like they're talking in circles, and yeah. I, I found myself mildly getting frustrated because yes. I'm just like, it's frustrating. What, you guys are just stacking stuff on top of each other that doesn't make any sense. But there's a point that Paul starts making and, and, you know, you get those like bits of real gut truth that come out as you're talking around something, you can start to pull out things. And he starts talking about how he's frustrated or he was hoping or had the vision that he had at least was that the Beatles didn't have to come together to make another album. It was about a TV show or a film or some kind of, it seems like maybe yeah, this grand finale, mm-hmm. like a, but it seems like an ending. Like it almost feels like he has this feeling that he knows the Beatles are ending and right. there should be a grand finale. And they talk about going to Tripoli at one point, right. To that like big yes. amphitheater mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, and and he keeps kind of coming back to this thing that he didn't want to just come in and make an album. Or right. the vi- the vision wasn't like, why do the Beatles always have to come in and, and make an album? Yeah. And it seems like he's also at the same time simultaneously maybe coming to the realization that that's what this band 
is. Yeah. Like that's effectively not... what John says. <laughs> He's like, because that's yeah, what right? the Beatles do. We make albums. That's what we, we do. We make <laughs> albums. That yeah. It's like he has these visions for what the Beatles could be, but it's really what Paul could be. You hear George talking about how he wants to do a solo album. John's got his own stuff. Yeah. And and Ringo's about to do a movie. And and Paul is bummed that the Beatles are the Beatles. Yeah. They're, he's bummed that it's like this is the cycle, that we go in and we make an album. Um, and because of that, to me, the rooftop thing feels very messy. It feels <laughs> like – and again, I don't know what the overall take – in the historical context is of this is is the rooftop thing viewed as this amazing moment or is it remembered as the last time they performed together i just i don't i'm not familiar enough to know how it's held but for me coming in with my own perspective because that's all i have Mm-hmm. It feels like a messy punctuation point that they needed. You hear the director of of the 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 documentary, the, the producers all talking about how they don't have the end of the story. They mm-hmm. don't they have all this content and they don't have the ending. They don't have a, a culmination point. And it feels like a forced ending or a forced moment. That should have been more. Like I, I do side with Paul in all of this, where mm-hmm. it's like there should have the Beatles deserved more than a bunch of like two by eights nailed together on a roof, ad hoc on like singing for people and then having the cops show up. Like there is something very punk rock about it. <laughs> it's very cool. It's exciting that it happened and some of the footage is yeah. fun and it's it's fun that some of the stuff on the album is from that recording session. Yeah. But it feels like they needed to do something and they had no other choice. And so they're like, let's go on the roof, you know, like right. this is what we can do instead of doing it at some concert hall or in some foreign land or something. They just stick them on the roof and they don't tell anybody about it. I don't know about you. It just, for me, it was frustrating. I'm looking at it from a production standpoint, and I'm like, this is sloppy. This doesn't do the band justice. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't put a bow on one of the most important bands of all time. It, that's well, their it last certainly doesn't do that. Right. It's interesting. <sighs> I don't, it's, it's, I have mixed feelings about it as well. I, I do, I probably have a little bit more, sounds like a little bit more positive feelings about it than you do. Um, I, I think that it was necessary, but would it have been better for them to do the Tripoli thing or a concert hall? Like you said, like as much as that would have been a, probably a more, organized a more grandiose and a, a bigger, you know, bookend to the Beatles, mm-hmm. would it have been as memorable? So I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I do I don't know the answer to that. But, you know, and we won't know the answer to that. But it's 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 what happened. And it it seems like many things were with the Beatles it it was a compromise. It was, it was, you know, not all of them wanted to go 
to Tripoli. Not n- yeah. N- I, I mean, George <laughs> didn't even want to go on the roof, right. and you can tell <laughs> no, he doesn't want to be he there. He literally says he doesn't want to do it. And you watch him through the whole thing, and he's like, he doesn't want to be no. there. No, you can tell he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. So, um, I also would have liked to have seen more. You see a lot of Billy footage inside the studio, but you don't really, he's kind of there in the background and the camera doesn't really focus on him. You can hear him, but not as much as in the studio sessions. And there's certainly not as much camera focus on him. Um, so I I would have liked to have seen more of that. Um, and then at the very end of it, cause we all know what happens after the fact Mm -hmm. is, Oh man, I really wish that I could have those cameras in the Abbey road sessions. I would love to see that level of coverage to capture what happened inside Abbey road, because, you know, I think as we've discussed, Abbey road for me is just, is the pinnacle. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, it, it is, it's probably, it is a shame that there were no other live or, uh, you know, public performances after that. Um, mm-hmm. would it have worked? Who knows? But at that point it was like, you know, they were done. And like, and like we, you already mentioned, they were done before all this even happened. They were, yeah. they were falling apart, you know, within the time frame of the white album. So, yeah. I just think again, like you go to your sliding doors or your shoulda, woulda, coulda. Like, if things had been different, if their manager hadn't died, or if they had gotten um, the new management sooner or something, I feel like there was a way. The wheels didn't come off; they almost came off, right? But they didn't come off, and they wound up getting across the line with some, inc- like, like you said, two incredible albums come out of it. But, mm-hmm. um it feels like someone could have crafted something a better situation than rushing to get on the roof. Cause Ringo's got a movie and George doesn't want to be there. <laughs> and like, and, and you see how happy Paul is to be performing, right? Like Paul feeds oh, off absolutely. of an audience and John in many ways does he's too. Having fun John's too, excited to be up but there. But Paul yeah. is a hundred percent in his element. Oh God, he's loving it. He's loving it. And George is just like, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> um, and, I, and Ringo's I'll, just happy he, to play. Yeah. He's, he's he just wants to play. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I also, Beatles aside, I hope and wish that there is footage of this uh, extent for some other artists. You know, I've watched a few rock docs. I'm not I'm not super well versed, but here and there I've watched some. And some of them, there was the um, the Oasis Supersonic documentary yeah, you was mentioned great, that. and that mm-hmm. that was another one where it's like, how did they think to shoot the the footage that early, like in their high school band rehearsals, who was shooting video of that? Do you have video of your high school band rehearsals? Like who has that? No, not that yeah, early. Probably not. Yeah. Mm-mm. And so like, it's amazing to that, that, uh, that sometimes you have bands that have the presence of mind to do that. But when you have the content, the storytelling and the end product that you can have, um, that Peter Jackson was able to do here, I just look at this and I'm like, 
man, I wish this existed for every album and every band yeah. that I love. Like I would spend a few hours. I don't know about nine hours, but I would spend <laughs> were, a few yeah. hours. <laughs> I would spend a few hours like just having a deep dive with a band to sit on as a fly on the wall yeah. and just get immersed in what is going on there. For sure. Um, so I, you know, it, it does kind of make me want to revisit the world of music documentaries and see what else is out there. That's uh, that is similar to this. I don't think there's anything like this, but there are great documentaries out there on artists and, uh, and it does make me want to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole on that. Yeah. And the, the only thing that comes to mind that would probably be the most similar, even though it's kind of a completely different genre um, is the Woodstock movie. Um, mm. simply because, oh you know, it's, there's, it's not scripted really. It's just right. something was happening and they filmed it and it's, yeah. and it also, it's kind of a, a, a time capsule of an era and a, and a historical thing that happened in popular music and they just simply captured it. You know what I mean? So Definitely not the same context, not focused on one artist. It's not really behind the scenes necessarily, but mm-hmm. for some reason I make that connection because it is just, you know, sort of a historical event that's happening and they're filming it. Um, <clears throat> I don't really know of any other individual artists um, documentaries that are going to be any anywhere close to this. No, it's, no, I, I doubt it. Yeah. It, it. It would be like comparing, you know, a, a, a made for TV sci-fi movie and trying to compare that to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not, it, you're not, <laughs> yeah. it's not going to hold up. So yeah. um, this is and kind of a pinnacle. To that end, like to have it be this extensive, um, I, you know, there I'm, I feel like there's probably stuff I missed. I'm probably not going to watch it again. Um, but I might jump back and, and go back to a few things. There's that moment when you start to hear the nuggets and the yeah. the, the the bits and pieces of something. And I'm like, oh, I, I rewinded that like once or twice because I'm like, what's what's the reception to something? Uh-huh. Like, what, like when they're talking about the pomegranate and stuff, I'm like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> but did I, and maybe I missed it or maybe, and I, maybe we both missed it, Um I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear the genesis of come together. I was waiting nope. for that. I didn't hear anything of here comes the sun, which I know was nope. written around that time. Um, so I just, there's so many other things that happen, as you said, in those Abbey road sessions that fleshed out both of these releases. Um, Cause you, there are a bunch of songs from Abbey road that we hear about. Yeah. You know, like, a bunch. And, that are part mm-hmm. of this, but um it's 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 weird that 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 none of that was in there. I guess that some of those iconic songs that define Abbey Road actually happened after the fact. And yeah, I would love to see what that was like after they got off the roof and they were like, "All right, well, now it's two albums, and this is we yeah. have enough material for two albums." Because there's that that one point when they realize that they have 14 songs, and they're like, like oh, "Oh, we do have an yeah, we have the album. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, we're done. Oh, we did it." 
So but there's I, I more wonder there. what the conversation is when they're like, oh, no, we have 23 songs or whatever, yeah. and now it's two albums. Yeah, I yeah. want to see the creative process putting come together together for sure. Yeah. I, I would yeah. love that. So unfortunately, we don't have that. There were not camera crews inside of Abbey Road Studios for the duration. So we that is unfortunately a missed opportunity. And yeah. Uh, other than that, final thoughts, favorite, favorite moments and, uh, uh, any final words on the massive topic of the Beatles? Yeah. I mean, on the documentary, I, it was a great watch. I definitely needed to digest it for a while. I, I like, I, I watched it in like maybe like 45 minute intervals here or there, um, they were great moments. I did, my daughter watched parts of it with me oh, just sporadically, wow. and she was like, "Wait, they're gonna play on the roof? How are they gonna do that?" Like <laughs> there were these fun little moments yeah. where she got engaged. That was fun, um, and it it spurred the conversation where now we're listening to some Beatles music in the house That's because awesome. of the movie, and she's exposed to it. And I, again, like it's it is a funny thing. Just as an aside, um, my wife's maiden name is Lennon. And oh. her dad's name, her dad's name is John. So my father-in-law is John Lennon. And <laughs> Interesting. when I, when I found that out, I was just like, oh, my parents are just going to say something stupid. You know, like <laughs> I was like the moment they meet him and I tried to get ahead of it and it didn't work out and they oh, still say stuff no. every once in a while. And I'm like, yeah, just cause he's got oh. the same name. Like, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I Beatles have been with me uh, throughout my entire life. It's a massive subject. We scratched the surface. I don't know if we'll ever go back in. <laughs> but I don't think there's uh, a ne- I, unless we're given a reason to. Which yeah, but I I think uh, this was a great kind of swath of like being able to dip our toes here and there and and dig through some of the dynamic that make this band what it was. Yeah. Um, it made me appreciate them in a new way. And I feel like I have new ears putting, uh, I'm putting new ears on songs that I once I've known forever. And now I'm hearing a little differently because I yeah. know some of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. For sure. Uh, wh- what it makes me um, excited to do is to kind of, get <laughs> to get back into get back. the creative mode again just with life and work and kids and the podcast mm-hmm. and the discord community and everything else that is going on in my life um it's it's been kind of a long time since i've actually just kind of sat down and created music and it makes me want to do that um unfortunately it kind of, well, it makes me want to do it without having to collaborate with anybody else because we've seen all of the collaborative yeah. issues and, um, you know, all of the things that, that went down in the film, but it definitely got my, um, creative side excited. And I hope that someday we can have a look uh, into an artist that maybe right now is 
completely unknown uh, or, mm-hmm. or you know, at least not as popular as they should be. And their journey is being documented. And then, you know, 30, 40 years from now, we might have this amazing um, story to watch of this this artist or group of artists coming together and overcoming great odds and great personal interpersonal turmoil to collaborate and create something timeless and mm-hmm. historically significant. So yeah. that's 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 something to hope for for the future. Of course, it's you know it seems unlikely, but everything does until it actually happens. So that's no, true. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, we did it. We tackled you know, a topic that I at least questioned whether or not we we, we even had anything to say about because it's like what well, yeah. what what more could What's we left? possibly add to this conversation? And in, yeah. in typical retrogroove fashion, what it comes down to is, you know, our personal relationship with it and yeah. how we interact with the music world and how the the music affects us personally. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm thrilled to have had the conversation and I feel like, you know, whenever we have a more introspective conversation like this, we kind of get to know each other a little bit better. Our listeners oh, yeah. get to know a little bit more about us and um, everybody hopefully has a good time. So yeah. at the end of the day, I want to be Ringo. I just want to play. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it. Well, this was great. And thank you for listening to Retrogroove. We are part of the Retrologic Network. Check out the website, retrologic.games, for social links, merch, community, and more. Also, don't forget to check out our Instagram account at retrogroove underscore podcast. And we'll see you next time. I just farted. I just, I thought you should all know.